Hello and welcome to Refigure. Refigure. I'm Reefer. And I'm Christopher. And this podcast is about the arts. 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 <laughs> arts, tech, diversity, music, culture, universe, the world. Stuff we've been consuming. So on tonight's show, we're going to talk about Sebado, the band from the 90s. And we're also going to talk about Untitled Goose Game, the internet phenomenon that is a game about a naughty, naughty goose. What's it all about, Chris? And why is everyone so obsessed with it? Did you say I'm Reef and I'm Christopher this time? No. Oh, did you decide not to? We said it right at the beginning. I said it. Well, on this recording, yeah. or the previous take, which we got recording. rid of. Okay, that's fine. Crack on. Untitled Goose Game, it was developed by a company called House House. It was a very simple game, and I think what happened was they just didn't, literally just did an animation of a few seconds of gameplay that they released on video, and then the video went viral. So they built the game, and it's quite, an, not quite DIY, but it's a simple indie game. And it's gone absolutely crazy online. It became a number one game in all sorts of places in the world. It's become a big cultural thing as well. Everyone's talking about it. And what it is, is a beautiful, idyllic, old-fashioned village or small town uh, with a few locations in, seems like, summertime. Kind of feels a bit retro. It's a bit Enid Blyton. It's like a 1950s British summer or something like that, although it isn't actually a costume drama it's set whenever i thought and, it was a bit bod yeah a little bit bod and you play a goose who's a total dick and your job in the game is to fuck up everybody's lives as much as you can it's really funny it's a puzzle game basically you're set these sort of wacky tasks that involve ruining people's lives and you play the goose and you've got very simple controls like you can just move around flap your wings pick stuff up put it honk. down and you can honk Honk. Honk. What did you think of playing Untitled Goose Game, Marifa? I quite enjoyed it. I find it really strange that you and other people have got really obsessed with it. I thought it was a bit frustrating. It's very slow and um, there's no aliens in it and you can't die. And like The games I used to like were things like Oddworld and Pandemonium and uh, I like board games. But this is a game where you, it's really tricky to sort of be a goose and you have to drag things to a a picnic basket and you have to sort of steal stuff from a farmer. It was super white as well. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, diversity in this game. I just got bored of it, you know, after a few goes of like stealing a pumpkin, I was like, okay. (laughs) Okay. Even when you say stealing a pumpkin, it makes me laugh thinking about stealing pumpkins from that pumpkin patch. <laughs> I don't know. I just find it interesting, isn't it? Whenever anything becomes like super, a super hit, like the guys that built Angry Birds, they built loads and loads and loads of games before people decided collective like hysteria about catapulting pigs is that what you do in angry birds well the birds themselves you... there are pigs involved and stuff as yeah well. there's a parallel isn't there that it's not just that it's bird related but that it's a puzzle game that is funny 
So Angry Birds took off because you're solving this sort of very simple puzzle mechanic, but you're laughing a load. So if you don't find Untitled Goose Game that funny, then it's kind of not for you, is it? It's like comedy, it's like stand-up when we talk about stand-up. Yeah, and yet I can see why it's quite relaxing, like that game where um, Griff Reese was doing the the sound effects and the music with the whale that goes in the sky. I mean, it's just interesting, isn't it? And also there's a sort of peer pressure to, like there were two people in my house going, go on, I'll help you. (laughs) Where I got stuck and I'm like, I'm not really trying very hard. And it's difficult with with a keyboard to play. Anyway, it does look very nice. It looks like a... Um, children's book I kind of had other things to do than play the so game so I found it really funny and I'm still enjoying it I'm not playing it like massively obsessively to complete it I don't feel like this burning desire to finish the game but every so often I'll just go and play and it makes me laugh so much and sometimes I'm trying to do the tasks and sometimes I just like running around honking being a dick and I really enjoy it. One of my favourite things about it, it's got a beautiful solo piano score that's very atypical of video games. It's very stylistic in a sort of classical piano recital sort of style. Or it could be like Chopin or something. It's composed by Dan Golding and it's really lovely. It's not like other game scores and it really embellishes the atmosphere of the game. I think it's brilliant, but I think you are right that once you add comedy into a game that's going to be the thing that makes or breaks it for everybody and we're all going to react very subjectively simply because comedy is as we've talked about so before comedy is so subjective i think we should do an e- another episode in the future on board games because we've been playing loads of board games as well recently so should we do that definitely ace so that's untitled goose game you can get it on switch and on uh, pc and mac we played it on Mac laptop, so it was fine with that. I bought it off the Epic Game Store. But oh, I see. Okay. And <laughs> even thinking about it makes me laugh. It's a really, and it is relaxing in a way that most video games are. Like if I play Fortnite, I am not relaxed. I am absolutely hyper after an hour of Fortnite or forty-five minutes of Fortnite. And also, Fortnite, uh, I feel like I'm transgressing some kind of social norm by get diving into Fortnite on my own on a phone. If it was like, I'm not, it's not for me, but I'm enjoying it. Whereas Untitled Goose Game feels like it is for me because it depicts a world that I know really well, which is like middle class suburban England. Yeah, it's definitely a hit and people of all ages are really loving it. Mm. And there's nothing, parents couldn't worry about their kids playing it because there's no guns in it and there's no yeah, it's very, bombs it's and very, weirdness um, in it. It's very sweet. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I bet like five-year-olds are really loving it. Anyway, Sebado, seminal band of the 90s. They put out quite a lot of records. I was never really a massive fan of theirs. I only know them because I was into Dinosaur Jr. and the Pixies. And then those days, because it took so long to put a record on and take it off again and listen to it. <laughs> you only, and expensive for teenagers. It was quite difficult to listen to lots of records and get into stuff. And you'd, I would probably listen over and over again to the same records a lot. Chris, however, was a mega fan, saw them a number of times, and I've only seen them a couple of times now. But we went to see them at Patterns. They've kept kind of their DIY status. They never became massive like Nirvana. Um, When we got there, it was in Patterns, which used to be audio on the Sprite and Seafront, 
and we were walking and Lou Barlow, who's an absolute guitar legend, you know, they've been going for like 30 years on the merch, selling T-shirts for 20 quid and uh, taking photos with people and standing there in a cardigan. He's 53 years old, he played the guitar amazingly well and uh, it was, it's a funny venue patterns, I have to say, there's a massive pillar in the middle, but we had a great time and I saw a lot. So the classic Dinosaur Junior lineup, which is Jay Mascus on guitar, Lou on bass and Murph on the drums. Were you into that to the point that you were aware of that as a lineup so that when Lou famously left Dinosaur Junior? Yeah, because that's when it all went a bit weird. So the hits they had, you know, like Freak Scene, the Green Mind album, but also um, when they did the covers of like the cure and all of that that was Lou Barlow wasn't it yeah he was in that lineup and so we did get to see them because I never got to see them first time around when they played the Concord what was that 2011 10 I well before that we saw them at ATP when they first That's reformed right. and that was the one that was amazing so yeah. that was a Canberra Sands ATP I think it was curated by the Shins or something and we went. Dinosaur Shalak. Junior played. No, shall I never curate it? They always just. Sorry, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Dinosaur Junior like played. Like a 90s quiz. I know, it's I'm crazy. not into it. It's 2019, Granddad. They were amazing, though, weren't they, that gig? <laughs> then we DJed for them when they were playing the Concord, and they weren't so amazing. Oh, yeah. But it was really fun, and you met them, and even Jay signed your thing, which was. They amazing. did. They were very sweet. He but wasn't as to be honest, as his I never really knew anybody's name back then. Do you know what that's I mean? what I was getting at? So, so maybe that's why you didn't make the connection with Sebado. I did. I'm just saying, uh, I never really got into them because I only had a finite amount of time to listen to records, mm. right? And I knew what I liked, and what I liked about Dinosaur Junior was different to Sebado because Sebado had like I love and I still love all the Dinosaur Junior guitar solos and the latest album that they did with Lou Barlow in it is amazing and there's some amazing videos and they've still got it and so the thing with you is that you've got context of this band so like you hear and there's another songwriter in the band Jason. Yeah, Jason Lowenstein so it's a two songwriter band basically and they're both still together it's a different drummer but it's an amazing trio. He's not as weird as Jay Maskis. No, and they're so, not as weird as Jay So Mas- they have this camaraderie on. So it's very... Look, I'm watching it and I'm loving it and I can't tell which is new stuff and which is old stuff. Mm. And it's rock and roll to me. It's got the curves that I like of Dinosaur Junior, but it doesn't have the weirdness. And some of it reminded me of stuff like Lemonheads or what's that other band? Even that, some of these new hipster bands that have been around since 2000, what's <laughs> like um, War on Drugs, right? Some of that whittling stuff. But they rock. So, you know, I liked it and it makes me want to go back to their new stuff because it's more melodic and it's and it's better produced than the, some of the younger stuff that they did. The latest Dinosaur Junior album that Lou Barlow was in that lineup is what people who have been fans of Dinosaur Junior since the 90s were waiting for. It's called Give a Glimpse of What You're Not, and it came out in 2016. 20 tracks on it, yeah. and all of them have got a killer solo in the middle. <laughs> anyway, all I'm saying, and, and they're not like his acoustic stuff, which is nice, but like, yeah. I prefer the rocking. Anyway, what did you think about Severday? I loved reconnecting with Sebado. I feel like I've had a almost a lifelong relationship 
with them. So I first discovered them in the very early 90s in my first burst of finding alternative music. This kid called Jasper in my sixth form got me into a lot of that stuff. He was a big Yola Tengo fan, got me into them. He loved bands like The Grifters and um, Super Chunk. That scene that was basically like lo-fi, that includes stuff that a bit later on I discovered through Magoo, so Guided by Voices, Flaming Lips when Ronald was in it, all of those kind of bands. Sebado remained my ur band of that kind of scene, I think. So for me, they're like maybe the Pixies or the Smiths are for you. A breath shy of my relationship with Springsteen, but I had kind of forgotten about it. So one of the joys of this show, which is obviously they're much happier, older, more rounded people now, playing rock and roll with the right context with, you know, enjoying themselves, touring, pretty intimate, like it was an intimate club show. There's a couple of hundred people there. But if you can do that all over Europe and enjoy yourself and make some money and go home, I don't know how they do it. I mean, I don't know how a tour like Sebado works in the modern era. I don't quite know how it exists. And I'd forgotten about how much I loved it. But because the show includes lots of hits or lots of their classics for me, as well as the new stuff, and the new stuff does stand up, I just found myself sliding through my whole relationship with them again in my memory. I must have known three quarters of the material and for several songs I just knew all the words. And I remembered this thing that happened to me in Manchester where I was doing a TV session filming with one guy with a camera in a kind of stairwell of a club and he made me do one of my songs. I did an acoustic song and then he said, Doug, can you do a cover? And I hadn't known I was going to be asked to do a cover. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know any covers. And normally, if I was asked to do that, I'd have to learn it. And I thought, oh, what can I do? What can I do? And I just started trying to play Willing to Wait, which is off Sebado's Harmacy album, having not even planned to sing it and having not sung it or practised it for... I don't think I played it for, like, 15 years. I mean, I can't even remember when I'd played it before. And I must have only ever played it a couple of times in my bedroom I just was able to play rudimentarily and sing this whole song all the way through. This is about 12 years ago, I guess, or 10 years ago or something. I don't know. Less than that. Eight years ago. I don't know. God, time flies. And I was thinking about that. They didn't play Willing to Wait, but I was thinking about that relationship with the band where you suddenly realise you know all the words. You suddenly realise that each of these songs connects you to a different bit of your life in a really direct, powerful way. And then that makes the show that much more incredible. Now, I have said over and over and over again that I hate band reforms, and apart from Carter USM, I'm not interested in them. And most times when I try and go and see them, they are really unrelentingly... I don't enjoy the experience. But Sebado don't feel like that. So I don't know why, but they don't feel like that. And actually, Slater Kinney, when we went and saw the Slater Kinney reform gig at the Roundhouse, didn't feel like that either. So there may be something to do with this American underground 90s rock scene that was very so real in the first place and so anti-fame and anti like even presentation. Like the whole point about Sebado, like you described, he does his own merch, they check their own amps. They're carrying their own gear. That was part of their point. It's like that fugazi, aggressively, politically DIY thing. We're not anything other above our audience. We're just sharing music. And I wonder if that, for me, just means that I can go back to it. It doesn't matter that it's 20, 25 years later. I'd say that with Sebado, I've seen gigs that truly fell apart, like gigs that just didn't work back in their 
overwrought anxious days and I've also seen this wasn't it but I think one of my five best gigs I ever saw was Sebado in maybe 1996 at Sheffield Leadmill or 1995 and then all that comes flooding back when you're standing aged 40-something in a club in Brighton thinking, I didn't even really want to go. I didn't really want to go. I'm like, okay, we're going to see Sebado again. They're going to play a bunch of new stuff that I won't know and they're going to just be grumpy. And they weren't grumpy at all. They were just into it. They were like... Hello, Sebado. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm really banged on. Oh no, my it's God. good. It's good because, let's face it, me and you have a very different um, perspective of those 90s bands because you were playing in bands for 20 years so and you were a performer and you were a name in that in that world so uh, for me it's they always felt remote and like proper pop stars and if i saw mickey from lush in a in the audience at a gig i'd be like oh my god it's like a star or like because i'm a proper fan whereas you know all the nuances of the background and i just find it interesting seeing him just standing there still getting his photo taken with fans and the whole audience was really different you know older people i mean you know music's good it's nice to tap into that feeling of nostalgia but I think with you it's a bit different because you are a musician when I see a band like that I am reminded how far from where I wanted to be I went that doesn't mean I'm not talking about success or failure I'm talking about when I see a band like that it makes me laugh at my love for folk music even though when I get home I can still listen to folk music and love it the true like pinpoint songwriting that gets to the human condition attached to the abandonment of rock and roll that when it's done well but they're not ostentatious and they're not they're not strutting it's very untestosterone anyway i just it makes me think oh yeah hold on that was that's my jam that's my jam it just always was it was in 1992 and it was in 2005 and it was in 2011 and it is now I think nice. we never change from our 17-year-old self anyway. No, we probably don't. I'm still wearing the same clothes. Um, Should we do what you're reading for? What are you 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 reading for? Okay, so in the UK, it's Black History Month, and I'm going to just talk a bit about Audrey Lord, who is African-American writer she's written essays on the power of women poetry and anger which are filled with darkness and light and you may have come across her before because uh, lots of influencers use her on the internet and quote her with probably not a lot of context sometimes so like Audrey Lord's name has been revitalized in the last few years which is fantastic <laughs> can't speak today so this little book I picked up in a gallery and she was born in 1934 in New York and she died in 1992 and this is a little selection of her essays that she delivered at conferences so I love that you know because obviously I go to loads of conferences and I hear people speak all the time and even if they're filmed I tend not to return back to them unless they're published because I like to look at essays and that's become a thing Chimamanda's We Are All Feminist essay you can buy as a little book as well so these were um, this is a collection of essays that she delivered at conferences across the USA between 1978 and 1982 but oh my god are they fresh fresh 
you can like say fresh again fresh fresh Um, so the title of the book is called the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house even just in those few lines you get gold i open it at random and it says as women we have been taught either to ignore our differences or to view them as causes for separation and suspicion rather than as forces for change without community there is no liberation only the most vulnerable and temporary armistice between an individual and her oppression but community must not mean shedding of our differences nor the pathetic pretense that these differences do not exist that is really good. This is the sort of thing that women now, a new generation of women, women in their 40s like me, who are going back to read texts that we weren't accessible to us. You know, they were not around for us to talk about and refer to. She's talking from the point of view of a black lesbian woman, a mother, a warrior, a poet. So she talks about um, the difference between being a poor woman or a woman of colour or being a feminist and how that fits in and what's the theory behind racist feminism i mean it's it's a tiny book but it's really powerful and it's by audrey lord the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house her books are really rare so if you spot them on amazon just grab them where you can this week i've mainly been reading a book by my dear old friend oliver gray who is a rock journalist of many years standing and a promoter and a big old school rock and Americana fan. He's probably one of the key people in the UK who helped bring through the genre of Americana and make it so popular in the UK as it is because he's been promoting it in the south of England for a long time. Writing things and reviewing, he's an inveterate South by Southwest head. Anyway, Oliver is also a, a really good travel writer, really fun, light and amusing, bittersweet travel writer. And his latest travel memoir is called Banjo on My Knee and it's an account of his adventures chasing great music in the American South. I bumped into Oliver at a gig in Winchester. He'd put on the Canadian singer-songwriter Dan Mangan and I grabbed a copy of Oliver's book. I mean I always love his work and I've known him a long time so I'm log rolling a friend here but I've always loved his books. They're always incredibly edible like they're very quick reads he writes in a really clear, coherent, enjoyable way. And I suppose because I know him also, I hear it slightly in his voice. But it sometimes feels like a really good nuanced stand-up comedy set because there are loads of jokes. It's really funny and it has a really dry, wry tone throughout. But that doesn't mean you miss out on the descriptive brilliance of uh, just exploring what he's exploring and, and living with him through his journey. Uh, so it's by Oliver Gray and it's called Banjo on My Knee. I think he self-publishes or through a local Winchester Press. But anyway, you can find it wherever you get books. You can find it in your local indie bookstore or you can find it on the company that we shall not name who dodges tax but will still send you things quite quickly if you buy them. See, I use eBay for quite a lot of my books because apparently books made of trees and the environment's really up shit creek at the moment so you should probably buy recycled books. I mean, we definitely buy a lot of second-hand books but from that local, from Zoom... I buy quite a few of my books second-hand from Ubu, which is a really cool second-hand bookshop in Brighton Open Market in the London Road area. He's like a grumpy dude. He has a sign-up all the time that says, uh, due to unforeseen circumstances, we are open. (laughs) He also, whenever you buy anything, he'll say, well, that's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I was good. like, I bought like George Orwell's Down and Out in Paris and London, and it was like a really like old edition. And he's like, oh yeah, that's a good one. I was like, all right, thanks for the review, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we are very old fashioned because we hoard books and we love having books around in the house. And me, because I never had that many books in my house, certainly not fiction. And you, because you you grew up with like lots and lots of books around you all the time. So we have a lot of books, but when we move, it's going to be a real dick. What? You think that the books are going to be the real dick when we move? Not the sideboard honk. and the piano. Honk. Okay, end. That was really fun. Thank you, Reefer. Goodbye. So, do some housekeeping. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much to everybody who's been leaving hundreds and hundreds of reviews and stars and all sorts for us. Um, if you, whatever you use, give us a review. And we are on Facebook refigure pod and on twitter refigure pod but also on instagram refigure uk so if you've got any recommendations for us to actually listen to read or watch on the netflicken please let us know as well or just tell us how you're doing what you're up to we're very interested in you too are we yes <laughs> here we are um, and we'll do a board game special, but we'll also go to Margate in the next few weeks. So one episode in the next three or four weeks will be looking at the Turner nominees at the Turner Contemporary in Margate. I'm, on, I'm going on tour. Oh, no, I'll be on tour when this goes out, so I won't mention that. Next week is She Says Brighton. It's all sold out. It's at the wonderful space or Platform 9 at um, in Hove. Nice. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye bye. Bye bye. Don't fly up.